Welcome back, everybody, to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of December 4th. Happy December, everyone. Got my son, Sam, and Alan in the studio this week. And uh, yeah, we're just glad to be with you again. This is a part two. Uh, Last week, we had a beautiful conversation with Sam and Lori Loki Mm. around experimentation experiential, not experimental. You, you do do experiments. I mean, it is. It could be. Yeah. yeah. Not quite as good Therapy. As and uh, a cool new project in 2024 called Noble Workshops that we're excited about. So this is part two. If you didn't get a chance to hear the conversation with Lori, you might want to do that. But before we jump in, let's pause, release, let things go, find ourselves, find God by... This, what we do is we say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you right now. I just release my day, my mistakes, the coming pressure. I release my holiday to-do list. I just release all people right now. Let's take a moment and let it all go, friends. Let it all go. And then we just pray for union with you, God. We pray our life would be restored and renewed through our union with you. Come and meet us in this week's podcast, wherever we are in the world. We're together here. Come and meet us here. Amen. All right. So we're back and it is the official start of December. Yes. First full week of December. How's your to-do list going, everybody? How did this happen? Wasn't it like June yesterday? (laughs) Have you already got me my gift yet, Sam? I did. Yes. The um, porcupine loofah. Well, thank you. (laughs) The question is, does it look like a porcupine or is it an actual dried porcupine? Yeah. Only you will know. All right. After you use the loofah. Then it becomes, it's like you rehydrate it. It's yeah. like a backpacker's meal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So last week we were with Lori Loki by video. We were talking about experiential therapy, getting the body involved, kind of getting the whole person involved into mm-hmm. the healing experience. Mm-hmm. And Alan, you were sitting in the in the studio. Right. Editing that as we were going along. Yes. What what was your what was your take on that, just being a listener to that? Oh, I well, I was blown away at how much of who we are today is hidden are oftentimes unseen from our past if we won't Mm. or don't know how to go there. So Sam, I loved how you and Lori were able to talk about not only the concept of it, but actually sharing part of your story with the scarf, like super emotional. Dave and I were in the back tearing up on that and, and, and just understanding more what's possible. It, it really blew my mind. Um, And I think it's going to be huge. And I, wanted to even see if you would start this podcast by letting listeners or viewers know more about Noble Workshops, because the conversation that happened last week is actually part of a much larger thing that you do 
with folks on a ongoing basis starting soon. So yeah, tell us more. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Um, man, my mind goes in a bunch of different directions and, and partly I love the stories with Lori last week because like with so many of these therapies, it, it's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to, to hear about what it looks like from 30,000 feet. It's another mm-hmm. to go into it. Right. Um, so I was telling those stories, making it come alive, trying to imagine like, oh my gosh, what would I do in that situation? And when I, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do in this space, uh, I now see a lot of my story as leading inevitably to this moment, at least in my life. I go mm. two decades for me personally of attending retreats in the mountains of Colorado. Yes. So getting to be a part of work crews and the team and attending and watching what it's like for a person to leave behind their world for a little while and go into a sacred space that has been really intentionally crafted. So in some ways I feel teed up to go, you guys, you need the reset. Um, when I would do my work, I was here in town and I would go home and be a dad and a husband and go grocery shopping. And it was so disorienting Mm -hmm. to have to try and find that gear. Uh, I don't think I was doing any of them really well. Oh, it's like that scene from the Hurt Locker. Yeah. When he's in the grocery, grocery store at the one. end, yeah. he's out of he's yeah. out of Afghanistan, he's or Iraq, he's out of combat, yes. he's he's out of bomb demolition, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly mm-hmm. he's looking at cereals and you can just see the I think it's one of the most powerful moments in film. Yeah. Like, that it just yeah. that level of disorientation. Yeah. The music's playing over the loudspeakers, the yes. aisle feels really big. Yes. It's yeah. So when I look at my life that way, I go, that makes so much sense that I would want to create and and craft a space that feels set apart, that feels really kind, really thoughtful. Um, similarly with this experiential work, um, no one ever gave me this phrase. I just found myself looking for it. And, and I mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again. It's that we will create the containment for you within which you can be vulnerable. So we will create the space that is safe and then you can actually get permission to have access to these things. Yeah. I would not ask anybody to do this at the mall or at a soccer right. game or like this is, this is, and I, I experienced that with my clients on an, a weekly basis that I see. You have like some particularly beautiful breakthrough in an hour. You got to go get in the car and do what? Commute to work, right. go back to being a mom, oh. pick up the phone and make the call that you missed while you were in session. Like it's so lurching. So the experiential stuff in itself requires this, this boundary. Um, then I would look at, okay, the secular world is catching up to the spiritual world. Mm. And I'll give you my metaphor as to why. Um, but I say this as this caveat of if the secular materialists can give value to the weight of the spiritual implications for your being and your healing, then as somebody with a spiritual worldview, you had better get, get on par with that. So here's the, here's the analogy. This is a real thing. There's a um, body mm-hmm. in space and it's called a brown dwarf. And it is the uh, rough size of a planet, but it is the consistency of a sun. So it's gases and high heat, but it's small and it orbits other suns and we can't actually see it. Mm. We can only see that it exists as it makes other things disappear and it blocks out the light from them. What the, what the? And as wow. it 
clearly is pulling on them with their gravitational pull. So we're able to look and go, we can see the effect of this thing. We just don't know what it is. Well, guess what? That's what the materialists have done with the spiritual. They've been able to go, we can tell this matters. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what it is, but we need to wow. give it weight. And I'm like, you guys, yeah. if they can, what's the appropriate way that we do that in this context? And I, I feel the stakes being particularly high because when you get access to younger places in you, when you get access to your protective behaviors, whether they're proactive or reactive, mm -hmm. um, like I was saying I would feel like my skin was all pulled off me and I needed to be really careful. You begin to put anything spiritual into that and the potential for great healing goes way up as does great harm. So you do have to end up walking this tightrope that I go, okay, what do I want someone to experience? Yeah. I want them to get a retreat from their world. I want it to feel incredibly safe. I want to do this work that's not just talking about it, but doing it, watching others doing it, benefiting from them, incorporating the body, the mind, and the spirit. And I think that it just is going to knock people's socks off. Yeah. Well, and Sam, I'm glad you're bringing this into the Wild at Heart world mm -hmm. through the podcast because I think of myself like eight, nine years ago, when I would hear something like the younger me, if that, if somebody brought up like, oh, well, you know, maybe you need some healing in your five-year-old self or 10-year-old self. I didn't know what to do with that initially because- it sounds woo-woo, right? Well, it's nothing, yeah, growing up in church, I hadn't heard of that and, and Jesus doesn't offer a parable on that. And so I initially didn't know what to do with that. So if listeners, you know, were kind of curious or wondering, I just want to say- mm -hmm. God revealed to me in a powerful way, not too long ago, the power of this kind of unexpectedly in an almost humorous way, because you guys don't know this, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan from the 1960s series. Oh, okay. So it was before my time, but when I was a boy, I would watch those reruns all the time. <laughs> to boldly go where, where no, no man, man has gone before. No person nowadays. No not person. can't say man. Easy, easy. Yeah. yeah. But- I grew up with that. And so I always loved William Shatner's Captain Kirk, right? And and so not too long ago, he was going to be here in Colorado Springs at a Comic-Con. Well, he's like 92 now, but I was like, it's my only chance to see him. Mm -hmm. And so I go out there, pay money to get an autograph and a photo op, which you do with these things. Mm -hmm. And guys, it was a total disappointment. I did it. But while I was there in line, I knew I had like two seconds as he's scribbling his signature. And, and so I just said, hey, I just wanted to tell you as a young boy, you were one of the first examples to me through this show of what like a good noble man could be. And he finishes signing and goes, hmm, and just hands me the photo and whoosh, next person comes up, right? Hmm. So he's busy. I get there's hundreds of people in line. I was one of the first, but there's hundreds behind me. Oh, I get that. But I was telling a friend who's a part of this message about this. And I said, I don't really know why it got to me because I get he's an actor. That's not really, he's not really Captain Kirk. And I get I'm at this. Wait. Well. What? Hang on. <laughs> oh, dang it. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah. And so I was asking this guy, like, why? I don't know why I was so disappointed because as an adult, I get it. And he goes, Alan, it was your seven-year-old self whose heart was broken over that because the seven-year-old in you grew up admiring this person yeah. and that seven-year-old was standing in front of him and was dismissed 
basically. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first actual moments when I wasn't trying to experience it, the younger me, but through a friend was able to go, th- there's no other explanation. Like that's exactly yeah, what of was course. happening. Of course. And if that's <laughs> happening on that surface kind of situation, mm-hmm. how much more so in the deeper waters? Yeah, totally. Oh, I want to, because of the time of year of this for between Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and Christmas, um, I think a fairly universal experience is the, when I go back to my childhood home, why do I revert? Why does all these other things start coming out of me? Or why does my spouse revert? I remember going with Susie back to her folks in Minnesota. And I was like, she's a different person. What happened? Uh, And only through learning about this and doing this work, it, it is part, it is part mystical. And I don't want to like dismiss that. There is something that's mysterious and beautiful about that. And you have neural pathways in your brain that we can track. They get reactivated when you go back into those scenarios. So you genuinely do become seven to 17 year old you again, who's back in those patterns of attachment and protection and safety. And I think many of us don't have words for that and therefore get taken for a ride. There's a Henry Thoreau quote that I love that goes, the question is not what you look at, but what you see. Mm. And again, this is back to my life. Mm. I want to be able to have the language and the lens for what's going on. Because if I'm just going back, like with the um, Cien Cien story I told last week, if I'm just needing to medicate because it's that time of year, that leaves me feeling pretty hopeless and pretty actually, I'd get mad at myself. My internal critic would come out and be like, this isn't okay. What's the matter with you? Mm-hmm. And then a sense of depression would actually get in because you get trapped. I think that actually is a root of a good amount of depression is feeling like there's just mm. no next step. Mm. And therefore that hopelessness gets in. Mm. But as soon as there was a lens mm. of, oh, there's younger places in me that are carrying things in real time. It was like somebody cracked open a door. The door wasn't all the way open, but there was the opportunity to walk towards it and experience change. Yeah. There's a whole nother category I'll lay on top of that called the ACEs test, the Adverse Childhood Experience Test. This was developed by a bunch of surgeons and a medical team out on the West Coast that were working um, with bariatric patients who were having surgeries to reduce some weight. And they began to notice that the most successful patients had the highest rate of recidivism, which means that they were the ones most likely to regain it all. Yeah. And they began to be curious. They were like, where is this coming from? And most of the people had a similar message that was this. I forgot that I use this to hide from the world. Mm. You, We took this away and people saw me again and I needed to hide. Wow. And they began to go, wait, what is, what is, what are we actually doing here? Mm. We're not talking about weight. We're talking about mm. the way that your body has been affected by trauma. Mm. And so they came up, they, they did some digging and they made a pretty short list that I think is really powerful. And it's this, um, this list of, whether you experienced neglect or abuse or this dysfunction in your home, however many of these you check, the higher your number out of, I think it's 10 or 20, um, you, your 
likelihood of carrying chronic diseases skyrockets from cancer to asthma to reckless behavior to obesity to mm. and you it helped the larger conversation on not only trauma but embodiment and younger places where you're like, yeah. guess what? You have chronic headaches and you have the ability to fall asleep at the drop of a hat anywhere. Mm. Guess what? That is probably connected to the fact that you had to be incredibly hyper vigilant to stay safe as a child and your body is rushing at a hundred percent all the time. So mm. of course you can pass out. Mm. You are living in Vietnam. Mm. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Aces adverse childhood experiences. We're going to put some of this in the show notes yep. with an exercise that you've prepared. Yeah, which is part of why I think I went that fast through that stuff is because yeah. I know there's more for you guys. Mm -hmm. I want to kind yeah. of paint the picture and go and then slow yeah. us down. Yeah. So last week and this week, we're talking about experiential therapy, exercises, embodiment, things you can do to help your healing journey really jump forward. Yep. So I want you to talk about the letter, the childhood photo exercise that we're going to put uh, in the show notes this week. We're going to give folks a few things heading into the holiday season to go, mm -hmm. you know what, you could do this and it would be super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tee it up by teeing up two letters at once, if that's okay. And if okay. it begins to be confusing, you yeah. guys can stop me. Okay. Um, but the experiential therapy model is part experiments. And I know that was a misstep by you earlier, but it was actually on. Hey, okay. Because mm -hmm. if you're working with a therapist, it should feel collaborative and a little bit like what's what's right for you. Yeah. What's, what is that letter? It's not just a, a copy paste for you. Yeah. So I know that you're listening and that you and I work together. Don't worry. Don't be scared. I'm not going to out you. But I worked with a guy who needed to write some letters that were part like grief and part forgiveness and, and just putting words to like the depth of multiple betrayals in his life. Hmm. They were conversations he couldn't ever have, most likely. And they also needed to be had. Hmm. So what do you do with that? Hmm. And Working with him, we, we determined the best thing to do would be to sit outside. He was uh, like cigars and scotch. And so it was like, let's set you in a place that feels really mm -hmm. safe. You're surrounded with some like lifelines for you. And then I'd like you to write these letters and um, to quote Taylor Swift, they are going to be addressed to the fire. You will burn them at the end. So it doesn't feel compromising. It doesn't feel too... Uh, scary, like, and I put them in a drawer and not know what to do. Okay, so, confession. Yeah, yeah. I had to go back and burn a bunch of journals. Totally. Wow. Right? In order for that exercise to be safe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it is fairly extreme. You, you want to make sure it's the right time because there might, there might be a letter that you do end up holding on to because you want to know, like, what was that for me? Mm. But there is a category for them that you actually need the next step. You need that next action. You need that full, like, and I release this. Yeah. And so his framing for those letters that I would, I would encourage you listening to consider doing is, um, what's a conversation I wish I could have if I could be fully honest. And I want to not just spew 
vitriol, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to work it into a way of like, and here's how you hurt me. And here's how I now want to release you. I don't want to carry you Mm. anymore. Mm. And if you feel like you can keep it, or if you feel like you want to share it with somebody first, do that. I know for a lot of people that is impossible. Um, but if you do have somebody that's trustworthy, I would really encourage you to do that. It, it's, oh my gosh. I, so in my work, um, with Bill and Lori, they would have me write certain letters to myself or from other people. And, and then they'd have me come in and read them out loud to them in the next session. Mm-hmm. And when I work with clients, I don't tell them that part's coming because I, they, I didn't get to know. And it's beautiful to watch somebody go, you know, uh, write a letter, bring it in. Here's like the pain that I, I've carried from this person. And I'm like, great. Can you read it to me? If you, if you have permission to, you don't have to. And the emotion it unlocks, like the power that it unlocks, like every, every way you can kind of take this up a notch kindly, there's more potential healing. Yeah. And then if it's appropriate, burn it. Sam, what do you mean when you say take it up every way you can take it up a notch? Like Mm -hmm. what are some ways you would take it up a notch? Yeah. So like we were talking last week, um, it's one thing to go, I feel really angry. um, And then we go on with our day or we flip that person off or we snap at our kids and then we turn on the TV. That would be like the step one. You experience the symptom, but you're not curious. Taking it up a notch in that case first would be, be curious and compassionate. You're like, um, where is this coming from? Or I notice that you're angry right now and just actually paying attention to it for a minute Mm -hmm. would be like the next notch. And in the podcast we did with, um, death and emotion for a lot of people you need to be able to hold on to that emotion for longer than a second and that's really hard because we're training some people are training themselves to let go of it and not pay attention yeah the next step would be like what Lori was talking about if you listened last week where you actually step into the emotion and you can embody that somehow by writing the word anger down and standing on it or if you were working with someone they might use scarves pick one that represents it now stand on it and then now you're actually in it physically and encouraged to take it up a notch by, is it okay to feel this? Where is this coming from? Uh, another tool that's pretty common and experiential is to notice your body. Where do you feel energy in your body? Put your hand there. And if that place in your body could talk, what would it say? So I know dad, and I don't, I'm sorry for outing you, but you've carried stress in your gut historically. Oh my right? gosh. Yeah. Massive. And yeah, I don't, I don't know the personally all of that. I just know that you have. Yep. And so if you were to step into stress and you were feeling it, an encouragement would be to put your hand on your gut and yeah. go, if my gut could talk right now, mm-hmm. what would it say? And again, we're, we're taking it up a notch by increasing the curiosity, increasing it with compassion. You want to not just go into there chasing it. So naming it's, I mean, obviously the first thing or knowing, but yeah. emotion, we've been trained so much in our life or conditioned to be calm, rational, not, not put emotion to things, just get on with life. But this is actually like, you have to allow emotion to flow through, right? Yeah. And it can feel bumpy at first because you're changing your paradigm. So I'm not, I wouldn't say that my definition of a healthy emotional person is that they feel like the wheel of fortune and they're just spinning all the time going through that because we call that person manic or bipolar and we put them on meds. So that's not what we're looking for. What I am looking for is a passing through probably that moment because it can feel like a lot 
to a moment where you are able to be immediately curious with how you're feeling. Wow. Okay. This morning I'm taking my kids and a neighbor girl to school. I'm, I'm carpool dad and my kids are significantly younger than that girl. And so they're being goofy. They're being silly. They're getting loud. They're kicking the rental card. They're fighting each other. They're not listening to me. And I have this thought go through my head of, um, I don't want to be the scary neighborhood dad. That's literally the thought that I'm like, cause I can feel my anger rising mm. and I want to snap mm. at my kids. But the only thing that stopped me initially was this girl's going to go home and tell their parents mm. that Mr. Sam yells. And I was like, okay, in real time, the, where is the anger coming from? So I'm not pushing it down. Like yeah. you're describing we're, we're encouraged to do Alan. I am going, where is that coming from? Oh, I think it's actually, and, and literally this is happening in real time. Like I think it's coming because I feel out of control. I feel like the kids aren't listening. I'm being ignored. When I'm ignored, that's a massively triggering thing for me. I'm like, okay, pause for a second, empathize with them. You know, they're five and six. I expect them to behave like they're 25 and 26. Like they're okay. I love them. I'm going to breathe right now and not dismiss the anger pay attention to the ways that I feel like anger is trying to protect me right now. Mm -hmm. And that would be more of like a healthy, I'm experiencing it. I'm noticing it. It's not taking control. And it's more of like a trail marker that I can use to follow back into something for me. Like a check engine light. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So take us to the childhood photo exercise. Yeah. So following the the theme of like taking it up a notch, um, this would be taking that, first letter exercise and taking it up a notch. Something I would encourage folks to do to get um, a pass at some deeper healing in the present is to feel more connected with a place in your past. And I would begin by looking for a photo of yourself between the ages of four and 10 to 12. Why those ages? Well, your massive... Uh, protective patterns are being established. Your um, learned style of attachment has been established. You have memories. This is a key moment developmentally and a lot happens. I would even just pause right now and notice how you're feeling by that prompt because I've worked with a lot of people doing this exercise and it, it no two are the same. I notice people who they, they can't go find photos because their parents have quite literally gotten rid of every single childhood photo. They just, kids moved out, photos went to the dump. Other people called up mom and had her take a photo of the picture of her that lives by the bedside table. Like this is all painting part of the picture. Do not skip this part. How you feel that I asked you to do that and what it's like to go looking for it. Then when you have this photo, I want you to begin by ideally a physical copy, but you know, it's 2023. So that's not always possible. Um, notice how you feel towards this place. So begin to towards little you towards little you. Yeah. How does current you feel towards younger you? Um, and write it down. Usually, um, it's a mixed bag. And if you've picked a photo that you don't feel anything towards, I'd, I'd encourage you to go find one that you actually feel Mm. strong emotion towards, even if you don't know what it is. Um, this younger you 
represents a lot of things in the in the present. Maybe your vulnerability that got you into trouble. Maybe the end of a golden age of your life, and and the end is coming. Um, maybe the hope that things would be different, and they didn't. Like all whatever it is, write down first how current you feels towards younger you and their life and what's about to happen and what stirs up. And as a separate train, what are the messages that younger you received and shouldn't have? And what were the ones they needed to hear but never did? Those are all, I mean, you can tell this is, yeah. this is a lot. Yeah, can I pause for just a moment? Yes, go for so, it. So Alan, when you see a photo of, like seven-year-old you, what's your reaction? How do you react towards photos of little you? I feel sorry for him. Oh. I mean, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. It, I look into the eyes of younger me and I didn't have a traumatic upbringing. My mom and dad divorced when I was in middle school, but, but both I knew loved me, but I, I see in my eyes, a boy who is uncomfortable with the world, doesn't understand mm. how to interpret, um, didn't have a role model that that really was able to infuse in me a mentoring or here's how the world works. And so I had to kind of base that on TV shows, like we talked about earlier, um, had to base it on... Um, just what seemed to work in different environments. But yeah, I look back at that young boy and go, you were on your own mm. and we're trying to figure it out as you went and no seven-year-old should have to do that. Mm. So good. somebody's in that moment. Yeah. What's the next step? Yep. Um, if, if I were working with Alan, I would want him to actually tune in to the compassion and maybe the grief that you feel and be curious about that. Cause younger, you probably didn't have that orientation yet, no. but current you does current, you knows he should have gotten things. What should he have gotten? Expand on that a little bit. You got some messages. Um, you didn't get others. You're, you're, you're more aware now of the ones you didn't get. And I would, I'd take some more time with that one before doing what in experiential work is called a role reversal where you are now going to switch places. And as you can internally kind of imagine that you are now that younger place that you've been looking at that photo, you're embodying younger you and you're going to write a letter from that place to current day you, which might be hard to conceptualize. If it feels like you're rushed, um, I'd slow down and pay attention to your environment like the guy I was describing, he needed to have a couple of things to kind of make it feel safe. Mm -hmm. So if it's having a hard time. Go um, in your bedroom, close the door, get yeah. a cup of coffee. Um, I would also, if you're already feeling triggered by it, um, I'd pause you and have you do a, a safe place exercise, which would be to imagine that you are somewhere you've, you've loved, you felt safe, even if it was just for a day, but as long as it was something like that, yeah. then go through all five senses of what it's like to be there. So one for me is the platforms we made at the ranch and yeah. there are these wooden little basically decks just up in these aspen trees. And if I'm there, I can hear the way that the wind kind of sounds like water through the, oh, you can hear the emotion. Ugh, like it acts as something. I can hear the leaves rustling in the wind. I can 
hear the creaking of the board. I can smell the lush summer, like there's sage and there's sap. I can feel the boards underneath my hands. I can taste um, summer sweat. I was chewing on a a grass stem. Um, And I can see this whole thing in front of me. So I ground myself in that. If you're beginning to feel like dysregulated, if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't get into this younger places, do that first. And if you do what I just did and you needed to regulate yourself so you don't get swept out to stream in front of people, come back to where the emotion was and kind of notice why was there some sadness there? It's like, oh, is that gratitude or is that grief? Hmm. Assuming you can get in touch with younger you, um, there's several questions I'd like you to address in your letter, but otherwise it can kind of be open-ended. What would so you want to say? Little you is going to write a letter? Little you, you're embodying little you, is writing a letter to current you. Oh, wow. And that really has looked super broad for folks. It's some... If it's short, I kind of try and be like, yeah, let's take another pass. This is why in the in the PDF that's going to be in the show notes, there's some specific questions and I'll even read them for you now. Um, but address these things and more if it comes. How does younger you feel towards adult you? How do they feel about the ways that you've been treating them? What do they want to ask you? What does younger you need from adult you today and then tune in. Is there a part of you that's protecting them or blocking them that you you're trying to ask these questions, but something's Mm. there Mm. and be curious about Mm. that protective place. What, what's stopping and getting in the way. And rather than trying to dismiss them, let that place speak. Yeah. What, what's that protector? It's probably not current you, but definitely isn't the younger you speak. And then ask, is there some memory that younger you would like you to see and would like you to help them leave behind? Is there something that you've left and they, they've been holding on to? Anything else they want you to know or to hear? Mm. Those, are the, those are the key things I'd like everybody to at least think about addressing yeah. as you do this work. Um, yeah. I have, we, we thought it would be helpful for folks yeah. to put that actually in the show notes. So yeah. you've created a whole template. Yes, exactly. So there's more on ACEs, like a little snapshot in there um, and a template for you to follow, as well as my, an example from me, because I do firmly believe that I'm not going to ask somebody to do something I'm not I'm not willing to do myself. So I've included both my photo and a, a shortened version of a letter I wrote to myself Um by way of example, along with some suggestions of what to do next. So if you've had that stirred up, I do encourage folks to consider reading it to somebody um, if that person exists. Uh, If you see a therapist, this is great material to bring in and go, hey, I listened to this crazy guy on a podcast and I did this thing. Can we talk about it? Yeah. Um, Sam, Alan, you're the crazy guy for the record. (laughs) One question for you is uh, if you read it to somebody, yeah. Obviously, you have to pick that person carefully, but yes. what are you looking for from them? If they're not a counselor or a therapist, what is their role? What are you, what are you hoping they do or what should they do? Great questions. Yeah, and these are in the, the PDF for you guys. Um, I would ask them to just listen. And I would ask them to hear you afresh and to share 
one thing that maybe they hadn't known or noticed about you before? Just, just witness, reflect mm. and express mm. grat- gratitude. Thank you for reading that letter to me. Yeah, that's good. And if everybody had that, I think our interpersonal communication would just be awesome, <laughs> but it's, we don't. The final thing, Alan, it, whether or not you have the ability to read this to a person or if you have a therapist to journey with, or if you join us in Colorado, all of those things aside, um, I would actually then tune back into how do you want your dynamic with this place to change going forward? I've known some people that decided to keep that photo at their desk or in their car for a while as they're beginning to once again notice, um, okay, this guy is actually with me. He carried a lot. I've learned a lot of ways of protecting him, keeping him safe. And I'm working towards this new place of Mm. compassion Mm. and care for them. Mm. How do you want that to change? Yeah. Um, You actually want, some of what they have back, like my younger place has a lot of playfulness and curiosity and even like a willingness to interact with other people. He did like strangers. He like, he didn't have strangers, just friends he didn't know yet. Yeah. And I lost that and I'd like that back. So that'd be another question of just as you go forward, how do you want that dynamic to change? Um, we've talked, I, there's two movies that I love that are, that play off of this. One is the kid, which I think our audience is really familiar with. The other is a, well, they, they pitch it as a rom-com, but it's not. It's the movie About Time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And it's actually the story about a father and a son. And I used clips from this while doing this Younger Place work piece, um, particularly later in the film when the father and the son get uh, their last interaction together. Um, tuned into watching that through the lens of, like, what's what's possible? What's possible with God, what does he want to do? Like if you see him as the father figure and you're going to go on a journey with him, um, is it too much? So that movie we'll put in the show notes because it's one of our favorites as well. It's called About Time. Yeah, it's killer. Folks, what we're describing is ways of accessing further growth, further healing, and the noble workshops that Sam and Lori and a team of therapists are doing in 2024. Mm -hmm. That'll be in the show notes as well, how people can access those. Because getting into a facilitated environment, yeah, it, it, it's just wonderful. It's a gift. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I was uncomfortable in it. Totally. But I got, I got like light years ahead in certain issues in my life, certain areas, certain things with the facilitated help of experiential stuff like letters and chair work and different things and and really good therapists who are guiding a group of people through an experience. Because you were talking about the physical thing, like what is this part of you? Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the workshop with the Lokis, it was John Dale who was having the stomach thing yeah. and he put his hand on his stomach and I'm like, honestly, my first reaction is, this is so goofy. Mm-hmm. Where is this headed? And then John starts saying these utterly profound needs and mm-hmm. things that were happening mm-hmm. in the live moment, in the workshop that was like, mm-hmm. whoa, that works. That mm-hmm. that was really beautiful and very, very yeah. profound. Yeah. My, my hope would be, um, because I have to have like a model of health, right? Like what is it that you are looking for? Um, and I felt really frustrated by these days, the stigma around mental health is lower than it's ever been. There is more access to counselors and there are more counselors and more um, psychopharmacological meds than any other point in human history. 
and it is doing nothing to curb the rate and the needs of mental health care, suicide, and a depression. And I look at that and I go, if that was the answer, then surely like us having more firefighters would put out that fire. Yeah. It's not. And and it's not it's not bad, but it's not solving. It's not it's not pulling it back in. And I think um in my mind, somebody that comes and does this work, and like you were saying, Dad has has a guide because that would be the final iterations, Alan, of my like, how do you take it up a notch? Well, work with somebody mm-hmm. or come to an intensive. Those would be like the the higher port parts of that taking it up a notch. Somebody that leaves that, I have a picture in my mind, um, because I've and I've seen it. I've seen people who, and I know you guys have too, um, who feel like they've they've come back in behind their eyes, like they were gone before mm-hmm. and you didn't know it, and mm-hmm. it's like somebody's home. Mm-hmm. Again, um, they are embodied and curious because the world is full of suffering and many of these things aren't going to go away and we can't control the the car accident, the cancer, the death, the next thing. Um, and what are you going to do about it? What kind of person feels able to navigate mm. those things? I think about the emotion wheel, like we're, we're meant to experience complexity and contrast. We're meant to experience joy and like uh, Pippin in the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf has to get him away when he stuck his hands on the Palantir. He's in Gondor, the city that's besieged, that's going, like they feel like they're going to fall any day and Pippin climbs on the table and sings. Like to be mm-hmm. that kind of a person yeah. who goes, I can do hard things. I can swim in the depths. Mm. I can come up to the shallows and mm. laugh and connect and then go back out again. There's this depth mm. to it mm. that the more in tune you are with your story, with your body, with your heart, with your spirit, the more those come into mm. um, not only awareness, but healing and balance, the more I think you're able to live wholehearted. And I have a a, a poem, because I always have poems, you guys, you that do. kind of embodies a piece of this. Um, so listen to this poem through that framework. Okay. This is called Until I Thought of Myself as the Sea by Hannah Rowe. I used to separate good days from bad until I thought of myself as an ocean. I used to split times I felt strong from when I felt weak until I imagined myself as the sea, calm and rocky, wild and soft, still and powerful and vast and more than any one thing. In the ocean, it's hard to divorce one mood from another, one wave from the next. Now on my worst days, I think of how good life is too and how I still can greet joy while swimming through grief, how fragile strength feels, how I'm not any one thing in any one moment on any one day. I'm all of it and all of it is me. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm. One last thought before we go, everybody. Um, the holidays are full of these experiential moments if we will embrace them, if we will accept them. So you might sneak down and sit in front of the Christmas tree by yourself in an evening and suddenly you are accessing nine-year-old, you know, little girl you. Um, you may be in a church service and you realize, oh, I just need to sit in this pew after everybody leaves I need to sit here for a while because 12-year-old me is showing up. Like the holidays are full of these experiential possibilities. And then 
um, perhaps, you know, in the PDF, use that exercise to then let that you talk to older you. But I would just, gang, this is going to show up and, and it can be really beautiful and very, very healing at this time of year instead of just, you know, I got to just get through the holidays, mm. white knocklet, eat a bunch of chocolate, drink too much. You know, which which is it's my plan B. Also, also have <laughs> compassion on yourself when you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we thought that this two part series would be really helpful as we head into the holiday season for whatever age you are, whatever life circumstance you're with your family, you're not, you're single and trying to navigate that piece, or you've now got a tribe that you're responsible for, but little you is showing up. You know, there's. There's a lot, and we thought that would be really helpful. So more on Noble Workshops. Those are coming in 2024, limited space. I'd jump on it if I were you. Um, the PDF is in there, the childhood photo exercise. And yeah, Sam, thanks. What a, what a beautiful two weeks this has been. Thank, Thank you. you. Really, really good. Alan, thanks. Thank you.